We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Coolie to start. Uh, Scott Van Pelt's going to be on the show today. Doc Walker is going to join us for a hit later on in the podcast as well. Uh, it's a big NFL football weekend, Cooley, and it's a big NFL football weekend on Sunday for the Washington football team for the first time in many years. You know, we, we talked about the Pittsburgh game being feeling like a big game and the San Francisco game was a big game, but we're now into the final three weeks of the season and this team, which is typically playing out the string this time of year, you know, has a high-stakes game on Sunday, December 20th um, against Seattle. You know, it, it, feels, it feels big to me. I mean, and we'll get into the quarterback situation here momentarily. But the other part of this to me, and I, I'm curious as to what you think, I know that we've sort of danced around the subject and even talked about it maybe even a little bit more directly than we will now. But for me, I feel like this is one of the few times in the last 25 years in following this football team that I feel like there's an opportunity, like there is a chance to get into the postseason in this weird year without home field advantages, with a dominant, but you know, a very good defense bordering on dominant at times, which is something they haven't had in 30 years. And I feel like there's this opportunity that I'd like to see play out in the form of a division title and then maybe a playoff run. I mean, your team in 2005, you know, I was excited about it because Coach Joe got the, got us got us back to the playoffs for, you know, in his second year. Um, the 2007 team seemed a little bit weird. None of those teams were good defensively or that good defensively. Um, the 2012 team was the closest to uh, feeling like there was a big run maybe in store, but I sort of sense that there's a big opportunity here. I think you do too, right? There's a huge opportunity. I think it's fun. You know when there's interest in the Washington football team, at least for me when I start getting 10 interview requests a week. <laughs> hey, do you, want to come, uh, do you want to come on our show, talk some football, talk, right. talk some talk some Washington talk some re- re- some Washington football? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You you've been so excited you still haven't adjusted to to Washington football team. But there's definitely some juice around this team right now in town, which is exciting for me. 
I'm not in town, but there's some juice surrounding the team, which there hasn't been for a long time. And it's due. It's, it's rightly so. They're a really good football team. I don't know if this is a massive high-stakes game because I think they can lose this game and be just fine. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know the 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 magic number actually for them is one, and and explaining that is you know it's more of a baseball thing, magic number. But if they somehow won, the magic number could be one. Excuse me, it could be one. Mm-hmm. If they were to win Sunday, and the Eagles and Giants both lose, and they're both underdogs in the in those games. Um, then all it takes is a giant loss or a Washington win in the final two weeks, and they're in. And Philadelphia and Dallas would both be eliminated with a Washington win and a Philadelphia and giant loss. Um, so I like they're close. But to your point, if they don't win Sunday, it's not the end of the world unless you really have this belief that the Giants with Colt McCoy, more likely than not, are going to beat the Browns on Sunday night and then go beat the Ravens, which to me is the single biggest reason that I feel really good about Sunday, even with a loss, them being in pretty good shape. I don't see the Giants beating the Browns and Ravens with Colt McCoy more likely than not a quarterback, at least Sunday night. I mean, Daniel Jones shouldn't have played last week for him. Um, so, yeah, but at the same time, it's still – it's December. It'll be cold. It'll feel like a big game. It, it'll have stakes. You could close in on uh, on the division title with a win and then sit back and you know root for Arizona to beat Philadelphia, root for the Browns in the Sunday night game to beat the Giants. And we could be sitting here on Monday talking about, you know what, They're, they haven't clinched yet, but it's pretty much over. We're in good shape here. The nice thing about a win would be that you're continuing this win streak that they're on, that you're beating a 9-4 and four team in Seattle that's a very good football team that's got a ton of weapons, that you beat San Francisco the week before, that you beat Pittsburgh the week before that, that everybody's going to be able to legitimately say, damn, this is a good team. Yeah, I mean... It- that's the nice thing about a win is... I think you you continue to really believe this is a this is a damn good football team. I don't think that with a loss you should say it's not a good football team. Even if it's a twenty point loss, I, it doesn't scare scare me to death if Seattle gets away with it a little bit. But a win and you really uh, this is this is a legit good team. So. Uh, I'm excited about the game. If they, I am, I, if, I'm excited about this team. If they lose by 20, and part of the losing by 20 is they get lit up, um, and their defense gets lit up by really the maybe the most threatening offense they've faced in a while. Jack Del Rio really talked about that yesterday. Uh, I would be disappointed. You know, if they lost, you know, because Dwayne had to play or Alex had to play, not at 100, percent which I totally would disagree with if if he plays at less than 100% and they lose a 24 to you know 9 game or 24 13 you know that would be different than losing 30 to 10 you know S- Seattle is explosive they can put up a lot of points but this is supposed to be a blossoming defense. This is why this team's getting talked about nationally um, right now is because they're in first place and because they have uh, the per- uh, a perceived dominant defense with the defensive rookie of the year in Chase Young. So if they get lit up a little bit, I- I'd be surprised. 
Um, to me, that's the most intrigue about the game is to see them against a really good offensive football team for the first time in a while because Pittsburgh was not a really good offensive football team, and they haven't been in recent weeks. Obviously, um, last week, the 49ers with Nick Mullins, uh, not, an, not an explosive offensive football team. Dallas with Andy Dalton, you know, limited. Cincinnati without, you know, Joe Burrow in the second half, very limited. Um, Sunday's the test for this defense. Sunday is a huge test for this defense. I, I just don't know if they – it's a quiz. <laughs> I, I hope they don't put it that way. It's it's a quiz. We got a quiz for this defense. I just don't know if okay, it is a big test for the defense to see what this team would be against a big time offensive team in the playoffs. But I, they've passed the test for me as to who they are on defense. They've done enough to show that even if they get lit up for thirty five, I still believe in this team. No Deshays or Everett the rest of the way. Um, yesterday, the news after we had done the podcast, I believe, is that, or maybe it happened during the podcast, Everett, uh, chest injury, surgery, his season's over. Uh, they'll miss him on defense. They will. I mean, you like the way Reeves played, but they can't get down to having to play Apke because that would be a, a big weakness for them defensively that they haven't had in a few weeks. <laughs> Apke trying to run down DK Metcalf on the sideline, taking an angle to that speed. Yeah, not going to work out. Or lock it. Yep. I mean, you could say not going to work. It's still, it's not going to be bad every play, but <laughs> they, it <laughs> might be bad on a. All you need is a couple. Then right. they threaten you vertically. Yep. So, yeah, I think Jeremy, Jeremy Reeves showed me some stuff last week to play free safety. I'm excited to see Reeves play. I'm just excited about Sunday. I don't know why. It just feels like, you know, to be relevant this time of year and to sit there knowing, all right, you got a 1 o'clock game with your team, and then you've got a huge 4 o'clock window with the Eagles playing, and then a huge Sunday night game with the Giants playing. Like, it's just, you know, to have that kind of interest – um, and to feel like if, you know, that getting there, if you can figure out a way to get there, that you actually have a chance, um, it, it just makes it, uh, I don't know, it makes the holidays, Cooley, much better. I just oh, remember, it's a great Christmas. I just remember, you know, a stretch of 20 years, basically, of this time of year, you know, knowing that you were rooting for a team and your favorite team had a legitimate chance to make a run at the Super Bowl. And that was, you know, that was most years for a good 20-year period, certainly a 15 to 20-year you know, period, somewhere in that range. Um, and it's been a long time, and I'm not saying that they are a threat to win the Super Bowl. I'm not going to, to exaggerate it. I think what they're a threat to do is win this division and win a playoff game or two. I do think that that is in play here with this kind of defense. You get a defense like that that can wreck a game, that can score, um, and you know, with no home fields to face, you know, no hostile environments to play in, um, I think that that you know is a unique uh, opportunity uh, here. Um, I want to get to our keys uh, to Washington beating Seattle here in a moment, but I did want to talk about last night's game briefly because 
I gave the Chargers out yesterday, Cooley, as an early smell test pick for the weekend, so I'm glad to get off to a a good start. But it wasn't easy. Um, It was a wild game last night that went to overtime, and the Chargers pulled it out 30-27. to Um, But they were on the verge of losing in an awful way, a touchdown on the opening drive of overtime. But the Raiders, after first and goal at the four, couldn't get it in. They kicked a field goal, and then Justin Herbert came down. Uh, and let a touchdown drive uh, at the end of of overtime to win it 30-27. to There are two things that I wanted to mention, and then you can have at it as well as it relates to this game. Number one, Marcus Mariota. I've always been a fan of Mariota. I don't know why. Um, I think it's the dual threat nature. Uh, I think he is really a, a an incredible dual threat quarterback um, as a runner. Um, you know, I think his throwing motion's a little bit weird, but I think he's effective. He came in off the bench after Derek Carr got hurt, and I thought he played really well, really well. Now he had a late regulation interception on a ball that was thrown a little bit behind it, the mm-hmm. receiver, um, but I. And Mariota is not available. He, you know, he signed a two-year deal um, with the Raiders for seventeen million bucks, and they kept talking about it during the broadcast about whether or not if he had had a training camp, if he would have had a chance uh, to beat out uh, Derek Carr, who you were well, a big fan of. I'm not a big fan of, um, but maybe he would not have had that opportunity or not. But but anyway. I like Marcus Mariota, and I really thought he played well last night and gave the Raiders an incredible chance to win a game to stay in the playoff picture, but their defense is just god-awful. Oh, they can't figure out what they want to do. I mean, they fired Gunther after last week's game that they shouldn't have lost. They've given up garbage to a bunch of teams. They've now lost four out of five, essentially because of that defense. You had Marinelli coming in and he's trying to run cover two and the safeties have no idea. The corners have no idea how to play cover two in that situation. You got cornerbacks getting penalties all over the place because they literally cannot cover. Um, It was, it was a bad defense. I don't want to take away from Herbert because I thought he made some big throws in this game. I thought he made some big plays, including the huge throw in overtime to get him down to the two-yard line, right. which was a big-time throw. But yeah, th- Their defense is, is not good. There, there's no doubt about it. And we can compliment like, the Chargers offense, but they, they're two receivers. It's Johnson and Guyton and Hill Jr., well, I mean, they had it's not Mike, Keenan Allen tearing them apart. Well, not last night, but Williams and Allen were out there, even though both were not a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, but it was Guyton and Johnson. Yeah, and by the way, KJ Hill, the, you know, the another Ohio State guy who to me looks very promising. He yeah, was, he had a couple he, catches. He had one right there at the end yeah. of the half into a cover two hole. But my God, like the the Chargers get the ball back at the end of the half and they go down and on two throws into the exact same coverage hit the exact same throw right. on corner outs. You're like, uh, do you think that maybe we want to make an adjustment to play this guys? Well, what's your, what's your reaction like, to Mariota? What I said about Mariota. And I thought Mariota was hot in the game. The, the RPO stuff, or excuse me, the run option stuff was really good. He pulled it a couple times. The one Read he up. got out in front of or behind Waller, who looked like he didn't want anything to do with contact or Mariota was going to take it to the house. But he still he, he ends up rushing the ball for 88 yards. Yeah. Which yeah. was incredible. But, but, I mean, honestly, Kev, like other than the pick, I thought he threw the ball really well. Me too. There were a couple plays where – 
he's got blitz in his face unblocked and he's got touch to dump it out to crossing routes with timing and touch and some anticipation. I thought Mariota played really well. He didn't play. He wasn't a good quarterback at Tennessee. That's a certainty. He really struggled at Tennessee. And so you're wondering as he gets into a different offense with a different coach, is that what he needed? The problem is, is like, why was Tannehill a guy who struggled in Miami some that much better than him in Tennessee? So I don't know exactly what to make of Mario. Well, he got a, he got a more mature Derrick Henry for starters to play with and a better coach in Vrabel. Yeah, but he played with LaFleur and Vrabel. I guess it was in a one-year deal. That was his one year with with the floor, right? It was his last season. Yeah, that was it. You know, yeah. That offense in Tennessee would seem to fit Mariota. I agree. Doing with Tannehill. No, that's it's a, it's a good point. It sh- it should have fit him. Um, you know, the, the the thing. God, that 2015 top of the draft, Winston and Mariota. Yep. It's really amazing because neither one of them, you know, it was a big discussion about, you know, who to take and Winston goes one and Mariota goes two. And, you know, the truth is, is that neither one of them's turned out to be very good. But, you know, I don't know about the, the weird thing about quarterbacks, Cooley, is that sometimes it just takes a while. You know, he's only 27 years old. Sure. Like he could become like a really good quarterback at 31 or 32. You know, uh, even the, with the way he plays. It's not common that that happens. But I think in part it's not common because after you blow opportunities or you don't make the most of opportunities, you don't get more opportunities. It'll be a little different for him because he's the second pick of the draft. So he'll continue to get some. Gosh, you know, you think about it. And who knows what the Raiders will do with Carr. I, I think Carr's going to be out for a while. You pull a groin like that and it's at least three, four weeks. So you're going to see some stuff in Mariota. And if Mariota plays well, one of those two quarterbacks won't be there next year. I agree. I think Carr is a good quarterback. I, I don't think he's an elite quarterback. I'm, I liked him a lot out of the draft, especially where they took him. I, I don't believe that he's a true elite quarterback. He, the thing is, is Mariota could provide some big-time trade value for them if they wanted to stay with Carr, or they could try to move on Carr. You know, um, do you remember, and I'm just – I. Tennessee beat Alex Smith in in Kansas City in a comeback win in the 2017 season, 2018 postseason. Um, It was 21 to 3 at halftime, and then Mariota played well, and Derrick Henry was awesome, and they came back and they beat Alex Smith and the Chiefs in that first round. That's that's the year that I think you and I both sort of agree that if Andy Reid had made the switch to Patrick Mahomes – um, they probably would have made a deep run into the postseason, that Alex Smith was part of the reason that they didn't. But if you recall, after that Tennessee win over Kansas City at, at Arrowhead, they played the Patriots in a uh, divisional round game in Foxborough, and there was a terrible call. Early. Tennessee took the lead, and in the first half, they, they had a first down where um, Decker, the big white tall receiver, 
and I, I forget what it was, whether he caught it and it was a bad spot or whether he got interfered with and they, they made a, a terrible missed call. But Tennessee was right there with the Patriots essentially in the first half. And then that call changed the whole game and the game got away from them and they lost. But I remember thinking then, you know, Mariota's not bad. Like they've got a chance to be a decent team. And Derrick Henry had had the big game against Kansas City. The Patriots, I think, shut him down a little bit. Um, but anyway, um, wasn't that the game that they ended up firing their head coach? Yeah, Malarkey into the yeah Malarkey got yeah. fired in, after making a playoff run. Yeah, Malarkey got fired even though they went uh, to the playoffs and won a game at Arrowhead against the Chiefs. And really, like I'm looking it up right now, I just pulled up the box score from that Patriots game. It was Eric Decker. Um, I forget the play exactly, but the final score was 35-14, which would be reflective of a game in which Tennessee never had a chance. But I remember they did have a chance. I remember it was a very competitive first half, and there was a big call that went against them that sort of turned the tide towards the end of the first half. Um, And... uh, and the game got away from them. But anyway, so two things from the game. Mariota, I thought, was really impressive. I like him, and, you know, who knows? I mean, Washington's going to need a quarterback, and I, I bet most of you wouldn't even consider Mariota. I would. Number two is this. It's something I've told you before. I hate the NFL overtime change from a couple of years ago where it went from 15 minutes to a 10-minute overtime. And last night had the potential to really illustrate more than any other game I can remember from this year why I hate it so much, and that is this. The Raiders opened up overtime with a drive. They won the toss. uh, They got the ball. It's a 10-minute overtime. This has been the rule now for three years now. They've gone from 15 to 10. I know why they did it, safety reasons. They just think those extra five minutes put players at such great risk um, to play a long overtime, which, by the way, doesn't happen a lot. Um, you, most overtimes are actually solved before 10 minutes. It's not a legitimate reason. So uh, It was, yeah, it was I, basically I, to abide by whatever the players wanted in a yeah. – in a agreement bargain with the last collective bargain with the last collective bargain. It, it was another it, attempt it, it for was, the league a, to say we've got the players' we're, we're, safety in mind. We're protecting you. Yeah. Well, it's stupid because what happens is occasionally the team that wins the toss can do what the Raiders did last night. Fourteen plays, seventy yards, six minutes and forty two seconds. But they didn't end the game with a touchdown. They kicked the field goal to take a 27-24 lead. So now the Chargers get the ball back with three minutes and 10 seconds to go, and the only chance to win the game is a touchdown on that drive. And it's not competitively fair for them to have to hurry on their drive where the Raiders didn't. Look, you could have a drive that's 14 plays, 70 yards, or 18 plays, 75 yards, and eight minutes and 42 seconds, leaving a minute and a half left, forcing the Chargers to call their timeouts on defense, which, which, by the way, they did. They burned one of their timeouts on defense um, in, in order to get the ball back. Anyway, my point is they should get the ball back with eight minutes to go in overtime. 
you know, with the chance to put together a normal drive. Now, they did put together a drive, and it was an effective drive, and they ended up scoring a touchdown and winning the game. But the point is, is that their opportunity to drive the field in normal fashion was hampered by the amount of time left on the clock. And and I just think they should change the rule back to 15 minutes. There there really is the, the amount of safety provided to players is minuscule because most overtimes get settled in 10 minutes or less anyway. But I just think in the instance in which a team takes a significant portion of the clock on that opening drive but doesn't end the game, is forced to kick a field goal, the other team shouldn't be forced to hurry up. Can I make a suggestion to you? Yes. You should get over it. (laughs) I know. It's just the game. It's the game. It is what it is. You should get over it. Okay. There's nothing you're going to do about it. Well, I I think that I agree with you, but I I think that you make a point of this with every overtime game that someone has a six-minute drive. No, I've made a point of it before that the potential exists for this super long drive, and I saw it play out last night, which is why I brought it to the show today. But I think amazingly, you're right. But I think you're right. As many plays as they ran, it wasn't that long of a drive. I think you're right. I think I should just get over it. There you go. I, I, um, I, I, I agree with you. I don't agree with why they made the change. I think it's inane. I also don't really see why there ever need to be a tie. Why you don't just play till the game's over? Well, that's a safety issue. <laughs> okay. Well, how if many you, games it, a year with fifteen-minute overtimes resulted in a tie? Not. I mean, this year has there even been a tie? Uh, this now year? we're at ten-minute overtimes, but go back to fifteen-minute overtimes. Well, Philadelphia many, had a tie. Yeah. Um, Philadelphia not, had a tie where Donovan McNabb didn't know that they could tie. No, I, I, I didn't know we could tie. I know. I well, know. you can, Donovan. But how many games you that? ended up resulting in a tie? Do you remember when he didn't know? They, they play, it was the Bengals, I think, they were playing. The game ended in a 10-10 tie, and Donovan didn't realize that the game was over. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 do, I do remember that. Um, I'm going to tell you right now. Um, so, since the rule where they cut it to 10 minutes, we have had uh, one, two, three, four, five ties. Okay. Actually, we've had four. What's it, what's it been? Five years? Uh, it's been four years. Uh, so it would be six ties. I don't know if the first year was 2017 or 2016 for the rule. If it was 2017, we've had four ties. Um, if it's 2016, we've had six ties, which, by the way, would a- automatically make the possibility of a tie much greater with a 10-minute overtime. I think that's you know pretty intuitive. Um but we look since overtime was was instituted in 1974, uh, there have been three. Hold on, four, five, six. I, I don't. There's been about 20 ties total in the league. I've got the list of it right now in Pro Football uh, Reference. They just don't tell you how many. I could count them here. Um, I will tell you just in the last 10 years, there have only been nine ties in 10 years. In in the in the nineteen nineties, there were only two total ties. Washington seven, the Giants seven. That was the Gus Farratt knocking himself out after the touchdown uh play. Um in the nineties, only two ties. Uh and then the eighties had uh many more. Um but anyway, um but it was very enough, rare. There, there's very never rare. been more than one tie a year. 
2018, there were two ties. 2016, there were two ties. 2018. Yeah, 2018, Minnesota tied Green Bay and Pittsburgh tied Cleveland. Okay. 2016, and is that? that? That's the Washington-Cincinnati-London game that ended in a tie, courtesy of Dustin Hopkins. Seattle-Arizona tied in 2016, and that was before the rule? Before uh, the change? I, I don't know when it went to 10 minutes. I think it was 2017. I think this might be the this would be the fourth season with it. So 2016 was probably a 15 minute overtime. I think. So you're not getting a high percentage of extra ties in the first two or three four years. Well, you've got four ties in four in the last three seasons, which is yes, it's a little bit ahead of the pace of. That was ties 2017 was the year. Yeah. Okay. So. So since 2017, we've had two ties in 2018, one in 2019, one this year. Philadelphia tied Cincinnati earlier this year. So four ties in the last three years is actually it's more than all the ties in the 90s. <laughs> oh yeah, twice the number. So four years. Yeah, and in the first, you know, uh, in the first decade of this century, there were only two ties: 2002 and 2008. We've seen in the last eight years more ties than we saw in the previous 20 years before that. So to the point that we're trying to make here, if you had get a over 15 it. minute overtime, well, but that's one get over it. But if you had a 15 minute overtime, yeah. there were four total games that would have been played more than 15 minutes into overtime in 20 years. Well, no, no, because you, well, you don't you, you don't know how many and, overtime games were settled after ten minutes. I know in a fifteen-minute overtime allotment, there have been four ties in between nineteen ninety and two thousand and ten. Right. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So in twenty years, four total games would have played on more than fifteen minutes in overtime. Oh, I Four. see. I see what you're saying. We're Get back to your, protecting yeah. the players. No, no, you're right. You're right. That, that that's true. That's 100 percent true. No, from you know that said though, there Strategy. was a tie in 2012, 13, 14, and two and 16. So five more games at that point. Nine games. Nine games from 1990 until the rule change. Here's nine what, games. Here's what you We'd don't know. Extra time. Here's what you don't know. You don't know how many games would potentially if you knew you were going to continue to play beyond the first overtime. Sure. How many of those games would have also ended in a tie and then a second overtime because teams may have gotten more conservative at the end of the first overtime saying, hey, we can win it in the agree. second overtime. Okay. I, 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 I agree. Let's, but, get, let's but, get over it. But you knew the game was going to end in a tie at 15 total minutes unless you were Donovan McNabb. And only nine games since 1990 did end in a tie. Listen, I, I get it. If you, I'm not suggesting you have unlimited overtime. I kind of did. I have a suggestion for you on your unlimited overtime. Discussion. I should get over it. Get I over should it. stop it. Get over it because that one is never nice. going to happen in the regular season. Never. No, I understand. I understand that. How many games in the playoffs ended in two overtimes? Uh, we've had we've had a list. Uh, we've probably had. I'm going to guess we've had ten playoff overtimes go to more than one overtime. I'm, I'm pulling up the list of NFL overtime games, all right? A complete record of NFL overtime. Oh, this is old. Um, playoff overtimes. Uh, my guess is that we've had six. Is that the number? 
Well, on NFL.com, there's six tabs that I got to click through. So I'm assuming <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I would have thought that it would have approached somewhere around 10. Double overtime games in the postseason. Here it is. Six. Uh, you're right. The most famous. So I'm not going to get over my point. The most been a lot of playoff games since 19. The first one was what in 1971. Dolphins Chiefs double overtime. Well, actually, actually, there were some um, prior to that in the AFL. But anyway, yes, Chris Chris Cooley Cooley. It's one of the most famous games in NFL history. Christmas Day, 1971. Dolphins and Chiefs at the old Arrowhead Stadium or Municipal yeah. Stadium or whatever they called it back then. Well, two, Bob Greasy. Uh, two Hall of Fame quarterbacks, Len Dawson, Bob Greasy. The Chiefs were great. The Dolphins were like a team that had just become a team four years earlier, but, but under Shula were on, uh, you know, really on the move. And if you go back, I think there are like four missed field goals at the end of regulation and in overtime in that game. Um, but the uh, Dolphins won that game 27-24. Uh, in the, I think that is still right. That's the longest game in NFL history. I think that is the longest game in NFL history still to this day. Um, anyway, I wonder how many offensive plays each team ran? <laughs> well, I'll tell you how many. Uh, I can find that because the, the other argument would be, yeah, they run so many more. There's there's more plays run in a lot of games now than there used to be. A hundred percent true. But I'm going to find the. Uh, I'm going to find this. All right, here's the box score from that game. <clears throat> All right, that went there's, to- there's 90 plus plays run by Miami and probably 80 run by Kansas City, somewhere around there. Um, All right, so uh, Miami ran, God, not, not nearly the, the number that you would think uh, 37, 61, 70, 78 snaps for Miami. And Kansas City had. 43, 55, 57, only 60. So nowhere near the number that you would think. But keep in mind, Cooley, back then, there was not a precise play clock. The ball would get spotted, and then the referee would roll a play clock in their, you know, on the field. There was no big, you know, 40 second once the uh, previous play ended. So more time was taken between plays. Everybody huddled, nobody went hurry up. And there were, if you go back and look at a lot of the old box scores from that era, there were fewer plays in these games. Um, there were fewer plays and many more turnovers in games. I do want to see how many field goals were missed in this game. Uh, Garo Upremian missed one field goal, and Jan Stinnerud missed three field goals in the game. For the Chiefs, Interrude cost him the game. By the man. way, he's the he was the first kicker and the only kicker for a long period of time in the Hall of Fame, Jan Stenerud. Before I think Morton Anderson made the Hall of Fame. I think that's true uh, because there was a for many years there was a, a discussion about kickers in the Hall of Fame, and um, and and Jan Stenerud was the only one. And now we have yeah Hall of Famers by position. Uh, yeah, Morton Anderson is in it. Morton Anderson. Hey, how about this? George Blanda is in it as well, but Blanda was a quarterback and a kicker. And then I think most people think that Adam Vinatieri will be in the Hall of Fame as the third kicker in the Hall of Fame. Yes. Then there's what? Let's look at the Broncos and the Ravens tied. 
in 2012. Oh, what a great game. That's the, the Flacco bomb um, to uh, uh, to Jacoby Jones over that DB who then ended up here briefly. The Broncos ran 94 offensive plays. Wow. The Ravens ran 80. That's a lot of plays in the game. That was a gut punch loss for for that Peyton Manning team. You know. Oh, uh, it was. Uh, anyway, all right. Let's get to our. That's, keys. A, that's a lot of play. Ninety four is a lot of plays. Oh yeah. Let's get to our key. Hold on one second. I have two more things. What? Going back to where we started with this Raiders game. Yeah, didn't the Raiders run a lot of plays last night? I think it's hysterical. I think John Gruden is just hysterical in his post game press conferences. I didn't watch any of it. What did you say? Well, you saw that he was wearing an Oakland Raiders hat in the first half. Oh, yes, I did. I did see it. And so he's in the middle of the press conference, and he kind of stops and he goes, for, well, I just I want to apologize for the hat that I wore. And somebody played a pretty good trick on me. <laughs> <laughs> somebody played a pretty good trick on me. That is, Do you believe him? One, who cares? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I believe him. Uh-huh. I, I absolutely believe him. Somebody played a pretty good trick on me. The other part of this game that I thought was funny, the, the laughable part, is there's a point in this game, in the third quarter, John Gruden, on a first and 10 Chargers possession, throw for two yards that was called complete. John Gruden challenges the play. I know. Why? You know what? <laughs> it's going to be a second and eight. He's headed. And then Herbert on the next play throws to Williams for 14 yards in a first down. Right. Good challenge, John. You lose a challenge there. Yeah, it's ridiculous. You know what? He's not. That team is seems to be a mess, a total mess. And they have. I'm cap- going to challenge this. I know it's an incomplete. I know it's an incompletion. Yeah, yeah, coach. I know, but it's it's two yards. Two yards. It's, it's really brother. not worth the challenge. It's yeah. a, it's a two yard throw. It's not. It's not going to hurt us. It's actually. We want them in second and eight, rather yeah. than. Three. <laughs> yeah, the way they've you been know. moving the ball on us, we per- second and eight's about as good as we've done all night. I, well, yeah, but they could be in a second and ten. I know, but second and eight's fine. <laughs> we'll, we'll be just fine with that. Who uh, challenges a two-yard completion on first down? Ridiculous. All right, let's get to uh, Washington wins if right after these words from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
All right, Washington, uh, by the way, six-point underdog pretty much everywhere right now. Alex Smith did not practice yesterday. I'll ask you the question. If he doesn't practice today, Friday, does that mean he's out? He doesn't. He's one of those guys that you, you trust to play if he needs to play. You want me to start my Washington wins if? I do, but I have one follow-up question um, to that. Uh, I know we've sort of talked about it, but I just want an update. If he doesn't practice today, which would be an indication that he's not 100% today, right? If he doesn't practice today. Um, And we get to Sunday, and he's, you know, pretty close. Would you even think about risking it? Would Would you put him out there if he's not the Alex Smith that we saw in the second half against Pittsburgh or on Thanksgiving Day against Dallas? Would you put him out there? No, me neither. Okay. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to take Alex at his word for it. You're gonna. It's gonna be his discretion because he's gonna tell you, "I'm close or I'm not close." He's not going to be better. He's not going to be 100. percent Calf strain doesn't go away in a week. That's not gonna happen. Um, the calf. They can tell everybody about a calf. I tore my calf several years ago. It was a couple of months before it was normal. Now it was torn, not strained. But tell everybody about that injury and about how, you know, you get into that area of the Achilles and and everything else cuz that is that can be, you know, especially for older people like me and Alex Smith, that can be a lingering injury. I have not really had a calf strain, but I've been around a lot of guys and played with guys that have had calf strains. It's an injury that you're able to play with first of all, but it doesn't go away. It is one of those stick with you for three, four weeks type of injury, especially if you're playing with the calf strain, the guys I've been around, it's like, you got to have it warm all the time. You got to keep massaging it. You got to keep it loose. He's not going to be a hundred percent. That's, that's a certainty. Now you asked me, would I, would Alex be able to play if he didn't practice on Friday? You got to keep in mind every day on an NFL practice schedule there's a 40 to 50 to 60 play walkthrough in the morning before they go out and then have a practice he's capable of going through the walkthrough stuff yeah i, I, I mean he can, he's going to get reps if they need him to get reps but you're you're also sitting there saying okay alex are you going to play we need to know now or we need to know if you have a good idea of it because we would like Dwayne to take the walkthrough reps. So you'd have to stand behind Dwayne while he takes the walkthrough reps and take mental reps. I, th- I think Alex would be fine with mental reps. All that said, no, I'm not I'm not risking Alex's injury. I think you could play with a calf strain, but when you have had massive leg damage, I don't know how that's going to react. You know, I've said this all the time. It was the Mike Shanahan thing. Like, I'm going to trust you on the first one. I'm going to have to trust you, and you're going to tell me how your body is on the first one. It's just a little different with Alex because he doesn't know how his body's going to react to a calf strain. Right. It's not the same. So I can't trust anything about this other than the idea that rest heals muscle strains. Well, I mean, my position is this, um, and it'll lead into you know Washington wins if with one more um, suggestion to you before we get to that. Number one is if he's not 100%, I don't want him out there because he sucks 
when he's not 100%. We saw that last week. Okay, let's let's talk about just winning the game. Okay, winning the game, what are the best chances to win the game? All of the other stuff, you know, protecting Alex and okay, that's great. We we don't want him to get hurt. Nobody wants him to get hurt. What are your what what's your best chance to win the game? Well, based on what we saw against San Francisco, if he's not 100%, he's not the best chance to win the game. Nope. He was awful in that game in the first half. Next up is just the notion, and I've mentioned this already this week, and you've already mentioned it. It really isn't must win. You're not going to be eliminated with a loss. And in fact, it's more likely than not that if you lose the game, you're going to be in the same position on Monday that you are you know, before the game, which is in first place unless you think Colt McCoy can beat the Browns. And I'm not saying he can't. It's the NFL. Anything can happen. But if he's not 100%, number one reason I'm not playing him is because you can't move the football with him. The ball was hitting six yards from the receiver in the dirt. And by the way, he felt the pressure and was giddy and jumpy and fell down on one of the sacks. I don't want to see him play. Anyway, let's get to Washington wins. If you start with your first key to a win. My first key to the game as we begin, is that Dwayne's going to have to make some throws. I think Dwayne is going to start this game. I know that you could play this in two different ways, if it's Alex or if it's Dwayne, but I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that my first key to the game is that Dwayne is going to have to make some throws. There's no doubt about it. Seattle, for some of the defensive struggles that they've had, is a decent run defense. They play a five-down front on almost every first and 10 situation on almost any possible run situation. They are playing five dudes on the line of scrimmage, a lot like Washington's defense. They're they're big time up front in terms of stopping the run. Bobby Wagner is going to play off the ball. He's going to play in the middle of the field. And then they're going to play Jamal Adams as essentially that other backer. A lot of times it's, it's a five, one type front with Jamal Adams playing down in the box as another safety. And they are capable of stopping the run. I'm not suggesting that you can't run the ball on them, but if Dwayne is not capable of making some throws and they bring another backer in, or they bring an extra man into that front, man, you are going to struggle big time. I think Kevin Dwayne is going to have to play really really well now normally i would let you go to your first key of the game but i'm going to go with my second key immediately right now please if Dwayne is not playing really well and this is a ball game as you get into the third quarter you're going to have to be prepared to make adjustments on offense which means alex might play i don't think alex is going to start this game but if you're anemic on offense and there's a chance for you to make plays in the second half and get things going and Dwayne isn't the guy, then you should play Alex late in this game. And then I'm going to say right now that if Alex can't make throws, you immediately should know and take him back oh out. But what I'm what suggesting to you is you need to be fluid in terms of being able to make adjustments at the quarterback position. Yeah, but we, we both admit that if Alex isn't 100%, he's not going to be good either. I still think if you have a chance to win the game and there's a chance that Alex is going to end up playing 25 plays in this game, then he should play 25 plays. The 25 plays he played in the first half the other day were brutally awful. I, I'm aware of that. That's why I, let, I gave you the third caveat to my point A and point B. <laughs> <laughs> Which is you bring Dwayne Alex. back? Yeah, you <clears throat> yeah. bring Dwayne back in the game. Yeah, no problem. It sounds no to me like you don't have this. any confidence that Dwayne extenuate... will play well. I do. I th- 
I don't have full confidence though. Which yeah. nobody does. Agree. Some of the coaching staff has full confidence. I'm not knocking. And so you have to be able to make adjustments throughout this game as things are needed. Seattle does have the fourth best rush defense uh, in the NFL, and they're healthier. If you're wondering why at one point this year Seattle was really bad defensively, they were unhealthy defensively. They're much they healthier. They didn't have Jamal Adams. Yeah, they're they're much healthier now um, than they were. Um, <clears throat> all right, I will. Uh, I'll keep my number one for number two uh, because we're talking the quarterback situation, and I'm going to assume that Dwayne's going to start the game as well. And to me, Washington wins if Scott Turner puts together a game plan that really, really helps Dwayne. And one of those things is going much more hurry-up, up-tempo, so that Dwayne gets to see Seattle with the same personnel on the field play-to-play. Don't let Seattle switch personnel. And I know that they they have a, a base defense, Cooley, that they play a lot, and there's not a whole hell of a lot to Seattle defensively at times. But I want Scott Turner to make it easy for Dwayne. If it's hard on Dwayne, it's Scott Turner's fault, not Dwayne's fault. Okay. And I, and I understand I want Dwayne to be accountable. I'm not trying to take all of the responsibility off Dwayne for what he should have been learning and preparing for over the last several weeks, but he is still a guy that has not started a full season worth of NFL games. You've got to get him into the best possible position. I remember you saying last year, you would do more hurry up. You would do more two minute. It limits the playbook. It keeps the same defensive personnel on the field. And this is something they did do with him against Cleveland and Baltimore in particular in his final two starts. So they already have a sense that it's one of those things that works to his benefit. So I want to see that. I also want with Dwayne to let them take, let him take a couple of deep shots, you know, touch throws, um, I don't want to see that. I want to see a couple of deep shots, even if they're incompletions. Can you imagine the confidence boost it would give this guy who has not played confidently at any point this year? End of last year, there was a confidence, there was a swagger to the way he was playing, even when he wasn't playing well. Can you imagine the confidence lift he would get from hitting a deep 38-yard shot down the right sideline to Terry McLaurin early in the game. He can throw the deep ball. He's got the arm to throw the deep ball. I would take a couple of shots with Dwayne as well. Uh, you're going to have shots available in this game because Seattle is going to dial up pressures. They're going to play with the, uh, an extra, uh, essentially an extra rusher on almost every pass down. They're, they're bringing five a lot of the time. So you're going to get some matchups where you're going to take shots. And, you know, like you can take shots at Quinn Dunbar vertically down the field. You, you can take shots at Trey Flowers and Shaq Griffin. They're good corners, but they're not excellent corners in Seattle right now. So I think taking shots would be huge for Dwayne. I do think it's funny, though, because you said if Dwayne doesn't play well, it's on Scott Turner. I no, don't see that as I, the case. I'm going to go back no, to my no, 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 first no, no, point. That, is, that's not what I said. That's not what yes, I said. Yes, you did. No, I did. Didn't. You want but, to amend it? Uh, okay, if it needs to be amended, I'm going to amend it. But I don't think I said that. If I did, then I'm amending it. 
Um, what I said was a game plan that gives Dwayne the best chance to succeed is on Scott Turner. Okay, I don't want the you know a, a game plan an Alex game plan if Dwayne isn't ready for it. They should know whether whether or not he's ready for it or not. The game plan against Baltimore, his last start where he put up great fantasy numbers. Um, it was actually, to me, it made a lot of sense against a good pass rush. The ball was out quickly. There was a lot of line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage throws, and they actually moved the ball at times against Baltimore. So I just, to me, if the game plan doesn't fit Dwayne and doesn't give him the best chance to succeed, then it's on Scott Turner. Yeah, I will agree with you on that, and I like your hurry-up point. But Dwayne is going to have to make some throws. And a big part of the lack of success that he's had is his missing errantly with the ball. Understood. He, he can't miss on wide open throws. He's got to be able to make those throws this week. I think he's got a shot. The other reason I like, you know, the Turner game plan idea is Dwayne has actually got a chance to see what Scott Turner's trying to do work to some extent more than not with Alex Smith and maybe some of those concepts that he's watched play out are light bulb moments where he says, okay, I can do that. I see that now. Now I can do that because the game plan, although it's the Carolina offense that they ran with Norv to some extent is quite a bit different than what Norv ran in Carolina. So Dwayne's only example of a lot of these things has been watching old Carolina film. The opportunity for him to watch Alex on tape and how Alex has operated this offense could be some light bulb moments where you can expand the game plan through <laughs> through osmosis. Right. Or through Dwayne learning the game plan by watching somebody else operate the game plan. So I do think the game plan won't, will be a larger game plan than was in the first four weeks you know we're 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 doing this based on the idea that Dwayne's going to start the game which we both feel there is a you know a, a a real possibility that happens but real quickly before we move on to our next key to the game if Alex play, plays you know is he going to have to make those same throws against a five-man front? Are they going to have a difficult time running the football is it the same with Alex he's going to have to make some big-time throws I think Alex is absolutely going to have to make some big time throws if Alex is going to play in this game. I, I just, I don't. What do you think the percentage is that Alex plays? Your percentage. Put a guess on it. Uh, I think the fact that he didn't. Ten. Uh, what'd you say? Ten. Ten percent chance he starts. No, I, I thought it was fifty-fifty yesterday. I would put it at a uh, thirty, a forty percent chance he starts today. Um, the fact that you said that he doesn't need to practice today and he could still start is sort of what Ron Rivera said earlier in the week. I think if he is held out of practice today, and we don't know the answer to that right now, I think then it would be like a you know, 10-15% chance he would start. And I would basically, if he doesn't practice today, I think Dwayne's going to start the game. Um, I, I don't, but if he practices today, then that's a clear indication, unless he has a setback, that he is going to start the game. I just think I, everything I have depends no idea. on how Alex feels on Sunday. I really do. I really don't think that he's got to practice this week to play. Rivera said the same thing. So, Well, it's Alex Smith, and he's a guy that's played for a long time in this league, and he's a guy that's shown that he can come in and play just fine. 
So, all right, what's your next key? Washington beats Seattle if. Well, I think the defense, it doesn't matter who plays at quarterback. I think the defense is going to have to win this game for them. They're going to have to be really good on defense. I don't, I don't necessarily see this turning into a shootout, Kev, with, with Washington's offense continuing to take deep shots and big throws down the field. Some, some of the teams that have played Seattle have, have ended up making a ton of throws in their high-scoring games. I, I don't think that will be Washington's game plan. I don't think that they necessarily have some of the guys, unless all of a sudden here's Robert Foster just blazing through the secondary. And you're like, Robert Foster? the hell is this dude I thought he was fast last week but now he's he's making plays I, I think that the defense to me is going to really have to come up huge in this game and win this ball game for him field position will be massive getting stops without allowing Russell Wilson to, to move it down the field and get you backed up is going to be huge the defense is going to have to provide opportunities for the offense to score points if they don't again score points themselves um, Washington beats Seattle if they ambush Russell Wilson. Seattle has a right oh. Seattle has a right tackle problem um, this week. No Brandon Shell. He was the backup to the backup. They've got major issues uh, along the offensive line, especially at right tackle. But here's the the thing with Russell Wilson. We've all watched him for years now. He is uh, second in the league in sacks taken to Carson Wentz. He's been sacked 40 times this year. Carson Wentz, been, Wentz has been sacked 50 times in one less game. Um, the Giants ambushed Wilson two weeks ago. Five sacks, 11 quarterback hits and pressures. They need to get after him. Okay, They have to really get after Russell Wilson because one of the things we know about Russell Wilson is he will take sacks, and when, they, when he takes sacks, they're big sacks. You know, in that giant game, I went back and looked it up, they had 11 plays in the game Seattle did where they needed 15 or more yards to get a first down. They had second and 17, second and 18, second and 19s, third and 20s, third and 22s, fourth and 26s. Russell Wilson, when he takes a sack, he takes them big time because he's always trying to make a play. And, you know, by the way, if you get him in second and long and third and long, you got to stay after him, not with zero blitz stuff, you know, uh, Greg Williams style. You can't let him sit back there, extend, create, 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 because he'll make a, a play on third and 19. Um, Washington beats Seattle if they just keep bringing the heat and they ambush Russell Wilson. He can be ambushed. We've seen it before. We've seen him get sacked five, six times in a game, and the team's offense you know, sort of grinds to a halt. Uh, they, had tw- they scored 12 points against the Giants' defense. And we've seen that over the years. Now, there's this fine line, right, Cooley, with Russell Wilson. You're just about to get him. You're just about to get him for like a 12-yard loss. And then somehow he escapes. And move out running. And it's a 40-yard play downfield or it's a 20-yard run for him to move the chains. So you've got to be on the right side of those plays. I think whenever a team plays Seattle and, you know, is a competitive, you know, opponent, it's about not letting Russell Wilson escape and make big plays. And, you know, uh, Jack Del Rio said this. He said, we have to trap him and get him down. It's, it's, it's right. It's like he's this guy that's constantly uh, about to get loose. You, when you have an opportunity, you have to trap him and then you've got to cage him and down him. And when you do, it's cage a him. it's a big cage. It's a big loss. So, I think uh, you know, defensively, 
They've got to do what the Giants did and what other teams that end up beating Russell Wilson do, which is really bottle them up somehow. Um, We've seen games in which Russell Wilson's really taken a beating and he's been sacked five, six times with big lost yardage you know, uh, uh, plays, and and Washington's got to have a handful of them in this game. See, I I wrote that down as one of my keys to this game, too, is you keep Wilson in what the defensive line would call the cup, like draw a cup around the pocket. You got to keep him within that cup, but (laughs) in the cage. You can't let him attack the line of scrimmage as a thrower. You got to keep him moving backwards. Even if he starts to get outside of the pocket, you have to continue to put immediate pressure in his face. And it's not just the sacks. It's he gets flippant with the ball. Yeah. And he'll throw picks. Yes. He'll try to take those shots. He'll throw picks. And some of the picks he's had this year are bad picks trying to make a play. And so I think when you're when you're talking about controlling Wilson, it's it's constantly pushing him back. You can't let him let him start attacking the line of scrimmage because then all of a sudden you're like, okay, are we going to sacrifice our linebackers and zone coverage to come up and make plays on Wilson? And is he going to juke him? You don't want him running outside or slipping inside the right tackle because there's such pressure up the field because the right tackle's terrible and he slips inside of it and then he's down seven eight yards sliding down the field right and then all of a sudden he steps up inside the right tackle and the backer starts to come up and he flushes out to his right and then he's making a throw for 25 yards down the field you got to keep him pushing backwards as long as wilson is not able to climb the pocket to climb laterally outside while he's getting outside he is not as accurate he is not as consistent he can still make those throws. I'm not telling you that he can't do it, but you keep him in a position where he's moving back, you'll be in good shape. And honestly, they should be able to do this with that defensive line. They should. They should have interior pressure. They'll so they'll have some stunts where I think they can surprise him. You, you stunt sweat inside, and then Payne's looping, and Payne's got enough speed to hold him on the edge. They should be able to do it with their defense. Uh, he's got 12 picks, third most in the NFL, um, second yeah. most in sacks. That season for him that started with them going 5-0 and and him being the front runner for the MVP. Remember, he started the season with like two five-touchdown games. Um, and at one point, I, you know, I want to say that he was like 17 touchdowns and two interceptions or something. He's now 36 touchdowns, hell of a lot on a season, 12 interceptions. Um, so, you know, and his, uh, his QBR numbers come down significantly. His passer ratings come down sig- significantly. Um, he's not a front runner for the MVP anymore. This is a two, pretty much a two horse race now between Mahomes and Rogers in the, in the, in the MVP, yep. uh, and, and Russell Wilson looked like he was on the verge at the beginning of this year of having maybe his best year. Um, the last one I have is, you know, defensively. I told you on Monday after the 49er game that I'm still a little bit concerned about their consistency against the run. The Niners got after them a little bit in the first quarter. It was the first team that tried to run the football since Detroit tried to do it, and Detroit was successful doing it. The Giants, the game before the Detroit game, were successful running the football. And Chris Carson, since his return, he's been outstanding. He's averaged five and a half yards per carry since he's come back. Um, He's a really good back, a good vision back, powerful back. Um, and they can run the football. Uh, they can run it with him. They can run it with Hyde, and obviously they can run it with the quarterback. 
they got to stop the run this week. They're going to have another team that's going to try to run the football and try to stay balanced against them, where Pittsburgh really didn't care about balance. Dallas didn't really necessarily care about balance. Cincinnati didn't care about balance. Um, but but Seattle is um, going to care about it, and they're they're going to have to be really really stout against the run, um, so that they can ambush Russell Wilson on you know second and nine or second and eleven. All right, Minuski, let's ambush and cage him. We're going to crack st- some skulls, strike some iron. They do run the ball more with Carson. That that's that's a certainty. They still are a more pass heavy team even in first and second down i think they're 61 percent in run pass situations actually throwing the ball you know and i they they are going to have to stop carson in this run game but ultimately seattle is going to try to beat you throwing the ball so you know one of my kind of keys to the defense was in the rpo game in the zone read game you force the ball to carson you don't let Wilson on the edge you don't let Wilson throw easy rpo throws you take away the pass and you take away Russell Wilson as a runner. You do have to find a way to stop Carson, though. And then, but but I would, wouldn't you rather have Carson have the ball up the middle for six and and play another down than have Russell throwing it on the edge? Yeah, I think I would. I, I think so, but I think that's also a recipe for you know you're going to allow them to get into the red zone, and then you're going to have to be really good in the red zone, which they've been all year long. They've been very good as a red zone defense, but. If, but Russell Wilson's good in the red zone. I understand that. Um, so because he can extend and and make plays. But if you if you if you play the P of the RPO and you play um, the quarterback on any you know other read option stuff, you're you're gonna you're gonna give up. You're gonna have to stop the run with basically you know six in the box. You know you're gonna have to do that. Can they do that? I hope they can. But th- th- that probably is a, is a key to the game, is they're going to have to be able to stop the run without loading up the box. Hopefully yes. they can. They've got a great That's front four. That's a great key to the game. Stop the run without loading the box. I love that. I'll bet you they'll play some five-down front again this week. They've had big success with that five-down front. They're getting much better at it. The backers are getting better at playing behind that for that five-down look. And you can still take away the P with the five down front. All right. Uh, what else you got on this? That's it. And that's it for me, too. Let's get to uh, the smell test and the lock of the week, and then we'll get Cooley off and get Scott on. Uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year, people, uh, and that can't end soon enough. We all deserve a win. We all deserve a little extra money in our pocket. We all deserve to have a little fun. The only place you're guaranteed to get all three is my bookie. They're the only sports book that doesn't care whether you were naughty or nice this year. They've got gifts for everybody. You can bet the NFL. You can bet college football this weekend, NBA, all of your favorite college sports, including hoops and more. Sign up today and receive the ultimate stocking stuffer, a 50% deposit bonus up to $1,000. By the way, my bookie's just not about betting opportunities uh, on sports. They've got an online casino, an online race book, and they've got big giveaways and free contests 
for you to enter. It's simple. Sign up at mybookie.ag, enter my promo code, Kevin DC. You got to put my promo code in there, K E V I N D C, to get your deposit matched halfway up to a thousand bucks. Head over to my bookie, make the most of the holidays this year, and strut into 2021 with cash in your pocket. This winter, bet with the best, bet with my bookie. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Kevin looks where the John Q public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's It's time time for for the the smell test. test. All right, Cooley, uh, the smell test got off to a good start last night with the Chargers plus three. Uh, that always feels good when you get a win on Thursday night and you're ahead of the game a little bit. And maybe this will be a good weekend. Uh, college football is really difficult. Tomorrow you've got all of these regular season games that mean nothing, and then you've got all of these conference championship games. It's obviously a weird year, and conference championship games would have been played a couple of weeks ago, and the regular season would have been over. Uh, three or four weeks ago, but we've got regular season games and we don't even know which of these games are going to actually be played. I mean, Maryland, Michigan State just canceled uh, yesterday, a few hours, a few hours after Loxley came on with me on radio. Anyway, I'm not touching any of these non-conference championship games tomorrow. I have no idea who's going to play and I have no idea who's going to be motivated uh, to play in these games. There are three championship games that I'm interested in, starting with tonight. Oregon's plus three in the Pac-12 championship game against USC. The public's on USC. Remember, if you're not following this, uh, Oregon shouldn't even be the opponent. This is how strange this year is. But Washington isn't going to play in the Pac-12 championship game, even though they qualified as the Pac-12 North uh, leader. They were 3-1. and one. Oregon was 3-2, and two, but Washington opted out. So Oregon replaces Washington against SC, who's 5-0. and oh. They are not really being considered for the Final Four uh, because they've only played five games. And I think the eye test um, tells you that SC is not at the level of Bama, Notre Dame, Clemson, um, you know, Ohio State, Texas A&M. Although it's sort of unfair to them because they haven't gotten a chance. But they barely beat one of the worst teams in the country, Arizona. Uh, they did beat UCLA last week, and UCLA is better than most people think, um, but they had to come from behind to do it. They're only laying three against Oregon, a team that I have been against three times this year, and are and I'm 3-0. and I had UCLA against them getting a big number. I had 
um, when UCLA nearly beat them uh, in a game. I had them against I had Cal against them and I had Oregon State against them, and they lost both of those games outright. The, uh, tonight, I'm going with Oregon. Uh, they're a major anti-public play. They're a capable team, and I think SC is a little bit overrated. I'll take Oregon plus three. Tomorrow, the Big Ten title game, Northwestern, is a 20-point dog against Ohio State. Northwestern can't score coolly, but they really are good defensively. And Stanford Steve was on the radio show with me yesterday, uh, this He's morning, good. this morning, and and you know he said something that sort of makes sense when I watch Ohio State. Justin Fields, when he's pressured, it's something you'll spend a lot of time before the draft. We'll talk about Justin Fields and some of the quarterbacks. Um, he'll put it up for grabs a little bit. He can he feels the pressure a little bit. And Northwestern is good on defense, not good on offense, good on defense. The public loves Ohio State laying less than three touchdowns. I'll take Northwestern plus the twenty. You know the this is one scary thing about this game. I think Ohio State probably believes that they're in, but a impact win is not going to hurt them. So I don't think the. They'll ever take their foot off the gas if they get a lead. No, I know, and it, a lot of people will consider a little bit that. tougher. No, you're right. I mean, a lot of look if if Texas a if Ohio State wins a game in which they're not impressive in, could they be knocked out and A and M go in? It's possible. It's not I don't likely. Think so. But to your point, they would love to do what they did to Wisconsin a few years ago, which is make it an abs, you know, put an exclamation point on how good they are by running it up against Northwestern, which is why I think part part of the reason why the typical public better really likes Ohio State laying less than three touchdowns. I'll take Northwestern plus twenty. In the SEC title game, Alabama's laying seventeen. Think about this, Cooley. The over the over under in this game is seventy four and a half. I mean, neither team can stop anybody. Uh, Florida comes off that just massively disappointing loss to LSU. Alabama just keeps coasting. Cooley, I like Florida plus the 17. I think, I actually think in many ways after they lost to LSU, this number is a little bit light. I thought Alabama might be a bigger favorite. Florida can score, and they're going to score. Um, And they're going to score 28-plus. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not going to give up 50-plus, which would be a problem. Um, But the public's on Alabama. I know Florida's capable of scoring a lot of points against Bama. I'll take Florida plus the 17. Let's go to the NFL weekend, which, by the way, starts tomorrow. There's a doubleheader tomorrow with Denver playing Buffalo and then Carolina playing at Lambeau against Green Bay. I'm not going to have a selection in either one of these two games, but I like both of the underdogs, especially Denver, who I've said over the last month or so, I think they're a better team than their record indicates. Part of that is because they've been a covering machine. They're 8-5 and five against the number, even though they're 5-8 and eight overall. I actually like them again, but they're uh, there are a lot of injuries that haven't been decided yet. They may be uh, without both Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay. They may be without corners. I'm not going to put this game into the smell test because this line could go to 10 if Denver rules a bunch of players out. So I'm going to just stay off it and focus on the following three games. The Texans got run out of Soldier Field last week by Chicago, uh, 36-7. to I mean, they made Mitch Trubisky look like an all-pro. Uh, India, on the other hand, blew out. Oak, uh, Oakland, Vegas. The Colts are laying seven and a half. They're in a playoff race with the Texans, uh, not with the uh, Titans for the division. Everybody knows Indy needs this one. 
Everybody loves Indy laying the seven and a half. I'll take the Texans plus seven and Nothing a half. Nothing about this line makes sense. Uh, I'll take the Texans plus the seven and a half, especially Nothing makes sense here. after it looked so ugly last week. I like the Saints. They just announced Drew Brees is going to start uh, on Sunday against the Chiefs. Look, the Chiefs, I think, are almost bored with the season right now. <laughs> They just want to the get way Riggins put it. Yeah. <laughs> what we had Riggins. Yeah, we we really didn't care about the regular season. That started right. That started in late December. I, I you know the Chiefs are laying three. The public loves them again. They barely they haven't covered like for five weeks in a row. I think it's going to catch up to them this week. I think they're going to lose outright in the Superdome. I think it's going to be a tough day for them, and that'll wake that'll be a wake up call because once we get to the postseason, I'm going to love them to advance. But I like New Orleans outright. Uh, For smell test purposes, the Saints plus the three. And then the final game of the weekend, the Browns off that Monday night loss, people love. Um, They were really impressive in that game. Great game. Phenomenal Monday night game. They're laying less than a touchdown against, more likely than not, Colt McCoy and the New York Giants. The public loves Cleveland. I will take the Giants plus the six in this game. It's actually up to six and a half now. Uh, but I gave it out earlier on the uh, radio show as six. I'll stick with the six. I hope the Giants don't win the game. I don't really think they can win the game, but maybe this is you know a late field goal, um, and the and the Browns win it like twenty three to twenty, or twenty to seventeen. I'll take uh, the Giants plus the six. So recapping. Oregon tonight plus three, Northwestern plus 20, Florida plus 17 tomorrow, Texans plus seven and a half, Saints plus three, and the Giants plus the six. All right, what's your lock of the week? It's a weird week because I feel like I'm guessing at a lot of these. Yeah. I don't seem to like anything. You know, I, I, I you look across the board and I, like, I like Cleveland, but I feel like I'm guessing at that. Right. I think Cleveland's a much better team than New York. This is this is not a Vegas bet. I think New Orleans looks amazing, but God, Kansas City can put it on anybody at any time. So you're not sure when they're going to put it on them. Uh, um, like the New England game, Miami's a one and a half point favorite. Yeah. Opened at two and a half. It's down to one and a half point I, favorite. I like New England a little bit in that game. I I can't see how you can like New England. I know. But everything says they're going to cover in that game. So I'm staying off of that game. I think Carolina's got a shot to cover against Green Bay. I do too. At Lambeau Field. We're getting eight. Uh, but to me, the lightest number and the one that looks the, the most right this week is Denver getting six points at home against Buffalo. I, but I told Denver, you about all those players potentially out, and that line could change dramatically between now and tomorrow. I know, and because of some of these things, you've allowed the smell test to take a no contest be, based on things changing. <laughs> okay, I'll allow it. If the line flies up to like eight or nine, and you went off, the, you know, then you are going to be off the game, and we won't count it. So if you want Denver there's, plus if there's the six, a two point line movement by Sunday, then. Game tomorrow. That game's tomorrow. Yeah, that game's tomorrow. So yeah, it is a Saturday game. If there's a two point line movement, I'm going to go with Denver. Okay, Denver plus. But I could, I could, I could call it no contest. I'll just take it as it is. I'll tell you what, they're 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 a no no contest. I'm going, I'm going Broncos. All right, mile high, baby. Remember when I did that a few weeks ago? I had them against New Orleans. 
you know, plus six that, and a that half. That can't count. That couldn't count. They had to start a receiver as a quarterback. Well, I understand, and I didn't count it. It went from basically six to 17, you know, because they didn't have a quarterback. Um, they're going to have their quarterback tomorrow. But, they, I mean, if they don't have Lindsey and Gordon, that's a problem for them. You know, Cooley, the more I watch them over the last couple of years, I don't know if Vic Fangio is going to be the head coach there, but my God, is he one of the best defensive guys in the league. He is able to slow down and figure it out against everybody. So it's not going to surprise me, as explosive as Buffalo has been you know, in recent weeks, it's not going to surprise me if Denver defensively really makes Buffalo look much less than what they've been. And that and and there's your hope, you know. Buffalo wins the game 17-13, something like that. Um, but Fangio's phenomenal. There are a couple of defensive guys. Like I love Fangio as a defensive guy. I love Zimmer as a defensive guy. I love Bowles as a defensive guy. I love Belichick as a defensive guy. Um, you know, I think Rivera and Del Rio is, are a great combination right now. Man, when you have that and you've got some defensive uh, smarts and some players, sometimes those are the best teams to bet plus big numbers. You know, I, I, and so you're. I think I like Denver tomorrow. I just I'm not sure what's going to happen with the game if they rule a bunch of players out. Yeah, that's a tough. That's a tough call. Uh, here, I got a question for you. Are you. We're done with the smell test lock of the week. Yeah. Does Del Rio have an opportunity to be a head coach next year? I don't in the think NFL? so. Do you? I don't think so either. The other question is, do you want to be, if you're Del Rio, with the opportunity to be this good on defense to do almost whatever you want next year? Look, I told you this when um, – I forget it with the last fire. Uh, who was the last coach to get fired in the NFL? Not, it wasn't O'Brien. It was somebody else recently. Um, Atlanta's. Not Atlanta. Who, who didn't you take after the coach got fired? Well, Greg Williams. Which no, that wasn't that wasn't the one. Um, the Lions, Patricia. Yeah, Patricia. When Patricia got fired, I think I told you this that there was like a couple of lists of the coaching candidates for next year, and you know Eric Bieniemy is going to be at the top of a lot of lists. On the list, one of the lists that I read, Scott Turner. That Scott Turner is a prospect, is a head coaching prospect for openings next year. Now I think it's you know I think it's way too early, but I do think he's done a pretty good job and he's got a name because of his pops. No chance he gets a head coach next year. <laughs> I don't think so either. I just thought it was interesting his name. Was no chance he gets a head coaching job next year. All right, give me a final score prediction. I have bet against them two weeks in a row. It seems to be lucky, so I'm going to do it again. I'm going to take Seattle in this game. To actually, they've done such a good job of keeping teams uh, into low scores. So I'm going to go with an odd score. Somehow Seattle gets to somewhat of an odd score. I'm going to go with the 26 to 20, which would mean Seattle would cover that game. Or they push. Yeah, it's six. Oh, it's six and a half where I was looking at it. Yeah, oh, God, it keeps going up because of the prospect of Dwayne um, starting. I mean, I wonder if we have any news on that. Actually, I should check that. Um uh, I like Seattle this week, too. Uh, even if Alex starts and he's healthy, I like Seattle 27-20. to 20. 
Um, I think that this is going to be the first legitimate test defensively. I think they'll play well at times, but I think Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf and Chris Carson will make plays, and they'll lose 27-20 and Seattle will cover. But it won't feel like the end of the world at all. Um, I think your scenario early on, they could lose by 20 and it would be fine. I don't like that. I don't want them to get blown out. This is a good team. No, I don't want them to get blown out either. No, 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 but in terms of how – I'm just not going to discount them if they get blown out in one game. uh, I mean, I don't discount anybody, but it would make me feel a little bit, you know, less confident if defensively they got shredded like, say, in the Rams game. I think they've come much further than that at this point. It would matter how it happens too, I guess. Of course. If they get shredded like they did in the Rams game where they don't have answers, that's one thing. If they end up making a ton of plays off script, off schedule, downfield, that's another thing. Agreed. Um, All right. Uh, Thanks. We'll talk on Monday. Let's go get a win. We don't think so, but let's get one. See you, buddy. All right. Scott Van Pelt next, right after this word from one of our sponsors. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, let's bring in Scott Van Pelt to the show. Uh, many of you know, because many of you have reached out to me over the last 24 hours, Scott has COVID-19. We're going to talk about that a little bit, uh, and then we'll get into some football uh, for the weekend as well. But, you know, I had I had Steve on the show this morning to talk some college football, but we actually recorded it yesterday. And as the interview was going on, people were like, why aren't you talking about Scott? Well, you know, why aren't you giving me an update on Scott? Well, it's because we recorded the interview, and then afterwards, uh, we I, I talked about it this morning. But I'll let you tell everybody um, your condition and how the whole thing came about. Obviously, you don't know how you got it, um, but uh, how are you feeling? Well, I'm feeling all right, uh, and I just want to thank everybody. The people have been very, very kind and let me know that they're, you know thinking in good thought and praying for me and this and that, which is very nice. I mean, it's just very nice to think that people care uh, that, that you're, um, you know, okay. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. For the moment, I can't smell or taste anything, and that's it. And that's the only reason I went and got a test was because I, the other night at dinner, I had a bite of an apple. And, like, there's a sensation to an apple where it's, it's tart Right. But this flavor is sweet. Well, I could the the sensation of the apple. I could I could sense it, but I couldn't taste it. And that's like apparently the biggest tell with with uh, COVID-19 is that. And so I didn't feel bad. Like I I had like some muscle aches in my back a little bit. But like put it this way, I didn't feel sick. I I 1000 percent would have gone to work. Um, But I just thought, you know, I, I better go get a test here. So I go and get a test, and I got a rapid test and the PCR test. And the rapid one, like when they tell you this one goes deeper, they mean it. Okay, so be prepared for that. All right. Well, don't but scare everybody good, with that. I'm not. I'm just telling you, it's they mean it. Okay. Like whoa. Like I said, because oh, as boy. soon as I got the positive, I said to Steve, "You got to come get one." And he's like, "Man, they weren't kidding." But here's the thing: you find out in 15 minutes. 
you know, and that's apparently a little bit sketchy. Those results are less uh, right are reliable, less accurate. But, but but I got positive, and then the PCR test, which we also did, came back positive, and so here I am. I, I'm, you know, I've tested positive for this, and I, I, I the reason I sent it out was because, like you, I have a show, and if you just didn't turn up for a week, your fans would all be like, where the hell is she at? And so. I wasn't on Wednesday, and so people are like, your show says it's supposed to be on. Why aren't you there? And I'm thinking, well, it's because I'm laying here in bed with coronavirus. Um, and so I just wanted to just tell people just so they knew. And I've, I've heard from so many different people um, from our business who, who, all, who have had it, whether it's a Todd McShay or a Marty Smith or, or Tom Izzo of Michigan State, all of whom are like, hey – I can tell you anything you want to know. I, you know, everybody's different. And that's what's interesting, Kevin, is everybody is different. Like, Todd McShay got crushed. He had a rough go. Marty Smith said it knocked him over pretty good, too. Uh, Tom said it really – he said he kind of – it was okay at first, and that's what's a little bit ominous is that, you know, I don't feel bad right now, but, you know, a lot of people are, like, saying don't don't just think that you're – it's fine if, if after a couple of days you feel good. So – I don't know. I'm just taking it day by day. At the moment, I feel all right. I'm hoping that stays the same. And I'm actually, I'm, I'm not, I left my house. Um, my, my kids and my wife all tested negative, but I just am going to go be by myself um, <laughs> until God. I can get a negative test and hope that that's soon. Well, the one thing I know about you is you're you're probably not a very good patient because you're impatient as a person. But did you call any of those people back? Like, did you call Tom Izzo back or get back to him? No, I, I, I mean, and this is this is a, a a nice part of this is that so many people reached out. I was just trying to say thank you to everyone, and the people who had had it that were sharing with me their experiences. And what's interesting is that everyone's experience is so different. Um, was just I just said thanks like so far I'm I, this is I got nothing other than the taste bit and and I, I appreciate you know you reaching out I mean I haven't because it seems to me honestly Kevin that like it, asking somebody what he or she dealt with isn't particularly right. helpful because it is it's not necessarily at all what I will deal with that that's the thing that's fascinating about this is it seems each person's experience with this is unique to them i maybe you should just call izzo back and ask him in you know as he is in a more caring and compassionate um moment with you maybe he would apologize for Corey lucius maybe we could get that out of him <laughs> he and i have covered that ground years ago yeah, I know. and, and we've, we we came to an understanding but yeah i mean if he could retroactively take that back i i i'd take a <laughs> no you wouldn't I mean, don't, I say don't, don't say that I, no, I don't want to be flippant here. I, yeah. I, I, there, there'd be some negotiating. I'd be willing to. I, I'm just hoping I get a negative test because, like, one way or another, if I have to be in a hazmat suit in my house for Christmas, I'm going to be there. It's, it's Christmas, like, <laughs> so I'm, I'm just hoping that this get that this all passes. And at the moment, again, I mean, like, I'm just trying to be like transparent. You know, like it's I got it. At the moment, I don't feel bad, but I have no idea like what to expect. Is that daddy walking down on Christmas morning or is that a beekeeper? 
Um, Why is there a beekeeper in our house? <laughs> yeah, you don't need to, you don't need to be dressed up in that. Um, but you know, netting it out because I've obviously talked to you a bunch here over the last couple of days. You actually feel fine. If you didn't have this, the the, the loss of sense of taste and the loss of sense of smell, and you didn't test positive, you'd be totally fine to go to work. One hundred percent. Yeah. So let's but, hope that continues. And 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 that right, you, exactly. Yeah. I'm just going to hope that I can get a negative test here. And, you know, I mean, there's all these protocols in place and we'll, you know, we'll follow all of those because like my immediate thought is I'm like, I sat across from Stanford, Steve, we had Jesse Washington from the undefeated who, who along with John Thompson wrote the the, the new book. I had him on the radio show this morning. He was great. I cannot wait to read that book. What a brilliant guy. He and I are going to do a podcast because I said to him on TV, I said, look, this doesn't allow me to go as in-depth as I'm interested in going on a guy who, you know, Kevin, you know, Big John far better than I did. Um, But anyway, so I I reached out to Jesse because that was Monday and I thought, well, hell, I don't know. I could have been I could have been contagious then. So like your immediate thought with this, or at least mine, is, oh, God, I hope that I haven't unknowingly uh, impacted anybody with this. And, um, well, you didn't impact you know, me. <laughs> you didn't impact me. I'm fine. And we saw each other over the weekend and my wife is fine. Maybe and so you gave it to me. No, I didn't give it to you. How would I have given it Maybe to you? you? I don't have it. I don't have it. You don't know. Did you get a test? Yes. And I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Uh, and, and, and I know that there's a period here, so I might go back and get another test at some point, but I didn't test positive. Kara, my wife, didn't test positive. Your wife didn't test positive. Stanford Steve didn't test positive. So everybody that you were around when you were probably contagious, you know, maybe you maybe you just became contagious on Monday. I mean, I that's possible, too. I don't know how the whole thing works. I'm glad, look, I'm glad that you don't have any serious symptoms, although... You know, and I don't want to make light of this either. You know, not having a sense of smell or taste has to be a bit disconcerting. Uh, do you have an appetite? Not really. Like, that's the thing. Like, the, the, I mean, I'm a nibbler. I like sweets and whatever. Like, I, I had I had a bite of chocolate. And again, there's this sensation, like, to the texture of chocolate in your mouth that you know it's chocolate, but you can't taste it. And you're so pissed off that you just, like, I don't. I don't bother. Like, I, I really, like today, I, you and I are taping this in the middle of the, well, it feels later in the day than it is. It's around lunchtime. I haven't eaten anything because um, I just, I, I put, I chewed an apple and it tasted like crap. So I spit it out. All right. So more importantly, uh, now that we know that you're pretty much well. Um, it, knock on wood. I mean, this is an early process and you've got to be quarantined here for a period of time. And you're going to do that by yourself because you're a pain in the ass to be around when you're uncomfortable. Um, more, <laughs> more importantly, who do we like this yeah. weekend? I just, I, I just had Cooley on. I just went through my picks, my smell test picks. He gave out his lock of the week, which is Denver tomorrow plus six. I kind of like that game. The problem is a bunch of people may be out for them. That may be one. Did I tell you, I think I told you this. I gave out Denver and played Denver when they were like plus five against New Orleans and then it went to 17 and didn't have a chance. Like, I, it's a real dicey thing to play games early these days. Yeah, because you have no – I mean, look at, like, Maryland against uh, against Rutgers. I mean, all of a sudden it's game day and, and you've got no tongue to my law. I mean, 
Yeah, I, I, honestly, like for numbers this week, I haven't looked at anything. I, I, I have no idea. I, I mean, I'm, you didn't give yeah, out a winners. To... You didn't give out a winners via tw- via Twitter. No. Why? Because I'm because all my attention is focused on battling this this virus, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but but I mean, you've been watching games. You, I I, I know I, the, I I haven't looked at the board. Like I well, you. At it. I looked at the board well, for you the I, other night. You know what? I, what will I like? Well, first of I all, I looked at the board for you the other night and told you Purdue minus six uh, against Ohio State looked pretty right, and they won by seven. And you got I got a bad number on that one. I ended up pushing that game, which really sucked. Uh, Matt Painter. Uh, Matt Painter is one of my favorite coaches, and it's not his best team, but man, he he figures out a way to to get it done. Uh, who would you like? I think you'd like Oregon tonight plus three against Southern Cal. I think. Oh that, yeah, Oregon winner. Yeah, Give them out ducks. Okay. Um, I think that you would like Northwestern plus the twenty against the Buckeyes. I I don't want to be involved against that team. What about Florida? Going against, going, no, no. I was just getting ready to say going against Alabama is is excruciating. They're like last year's LSU. There's not a number high enough. They win by as many as they want. So I mean, taking going against Alabama, it's just no fun. They're going to score as many as they want. Florida's going to score a lot too. They might. You know the total on that game? Do you know what it is? I don't. Seventy-four for an SEC title SEC, game. SEC defense. There you go. <laughs> there it is. Uh, I could. I, I actually like Florida a little bit, and I feel the same way you do. It's you know in years past just painful taking big numbers against Bama, but I think Florida is going to score a lot <clears throat> in that game. It may not be enough. You know, it could be fifty-six they, to thirty-five. They can't, they, they can't stop anyone. They couldn't I know. stop LSU, who had fifty-three people travel. They got beat by a team who is a 23-point underdog at home who brought 53 people who lost to Alabama by a billion. So I know. You want to go you want Florida, you can have them. Uh, I do have them and I'll probably Good. regret it. That's fine. Um I, here's the one thing that I said about all of these other games going on tomorrow. First of all, you don't even know which games will be played and which ones won't. Maryland, Michigan State canceled literally like an hour after I had Loxley on the show yesterday morning. Um, secondly, at this point, like on December 19th, who's interested in playing a game that's totally meaningless? Like, I, I don't know that you're going to be able to identify which teams are going to be into this and which teams aren't. Like, I think you would like Tennessee plus 14 against A&M tomorrow, but how do you know Tennessee is going to be motivated? I don't... You don't. You don't. Like, like I think, as you and I have explained through the years, the way that we look at a card is much like the way that people that play blackjack by the book look at, the, look at cards. Like, you look at the cards, it's not... It's not fun, but the, the the card just tells you what to do. You got to hit and sixteen so, sometimes. You got to hit sixteen and, against the ten. Sorry, and you and you don't get you don't get. Oh, I don't feel good about it right now. You hit. <laughs> shut up. Hit sixteen, and there's certain sides you're just going to have in certain spots. And but this year, absent the crowd, the, with the situations with the health and who's available, I just I don't feel like so much of the way we look at things really applies. So largely you're just blindly flailing at a pinata, which by the way, 
you're kind of blindly flailing to begin with. Of but course. this year, it's even more it's more blind than ever before. That's just how I feel about it. Uh, I agree with you. I think the NFL is a little bit different. Um, you know, the I NFL. Agree, I agree with that. I so, agree with that. The NFL at least feels there's there's enough that feels semi plausible that, that that has translated to the NFL. Whereas college, it's just who the hell knows. So let me give you a couple of the NFL games that I think you you would like. Um, I don't think anybody is going to actually bet Houston this week plus seven and a half against Indy. Houston lost to the Bears and Mitch Trubisky last week, thirty six to seven, and Indy yes, blew did. out Oakland. And the number is seven seven and a half. So I actually like the Texans um, in that game. Uh, that's one of those games that I think every bookmaker in America is going to need the Texans. Well, I gave the Texans on the show against uh, the Colts at home, and they were there on the doorstep late getting ready to go in to win and cover, and Deshaun fumbled on the one. So that was was no happy. (laughs) That was not good. Uh, New Orleans, now they announced Drew Brees is going to start Sunday. They're plus three at home against Kansas City, and I think the whole Kansas City thing's interesting. I said to Cooley a little while ago, I don't think they're really interested right now. I think they're bored. Um, like this is just Rigo once told me. Rigo uh, John Riggins once told me that you know there were several years there when they were you know essentially Super Bowl contenders every year, where he said you know towards the end of the regular season they got bored. And it was like, can we just get to the playoff games and, and and get riled up for those? And Kansas City strikes me as a team that's bored right now. Like they they can't they they don't cover, but they win. And I have a feeling that runs out this week. I think it's not that they cover. I think they lose outright to the Saints. I think the Saints, by the way, are very good defensively. All of what you said is feels true. I mean, they mess they screw around and it's like they're kind of interested and then they're kind of not. And then, um, I mean, last week against against Miami, the thing, the problem with with playing against them is that they can be they can be indifferent and ordinary for a quarter and a half. <laughs> right. I did this. I said this on SportsCenter. There was a twelve minute and forty five second chunk of game time where Miami went from being up ten nothing to being down twenty eight ten. Right. So that wasn't even one quarter of football, Kevin. And they went from being down double digits to ahead by 18 points. So going against them, even though, even when they're bored, they can be bored for three and a half quarters. And in one seven-minute chunk, they can play well enough to win and cover. Well, I mean, that playoff game last year, when they fell behind 24 to nothing to Houston, it was 24 nothing and then they scored 41 points in a quarter and a half basically it was crazy yes. so what do you think of our team here which is now your team i guess again um after you know 25 years of of being indifferent now that you're living here again and they're having you know a run here you're all of a sudden on board uh, asking me lots of questions and seeming excited uh, about the Washington team. What do you think of them? I mean, they're they, they've got a chance here. Like there seems like it's a bit of an opportunity here this year. I agree. Um, look, they're, they're, the the defense is real. We I said that on my show very early on, and you know the the, the Chase Young game last week was. I'm gonna say something here. All right. Um, 
and this is this uh, this is I'm not hyperbole hot take guy, but let when I say this, I'm curious your reaction. What what Chase Young put on tape last week was some Lawrence Taylor shit. Okay, it was strip sack. It was like drop into coverage and then and then Barry Mullins on a sack. It was pick up the ball like a running back with incredible footwork and speed and scoring. Like it was an it was an ability to impact the game in a way that like Taylor used to. And I, I reserve that kind of commentary for rare moments because like Lawrence Taylor was, was one of one, but Chase Young is as advertised and it's not just Chase Young. There's a lot more to it, but that, I mean, the sequence from him in that second quarter was just undeniable. I don't know if it's Lawrence Taylor, you know, as Bill Belichick once said, that's Lawrence Taylor we're talking about. Um, but I get your point. He, he's he's going to be a game wrecker. He is going to be a player that throughout his career is going to wreck games, you know, one or two of them every single year, and you're going to have to game plan for. And we haven't had anybody on the, on the team defensively since Dexter that people legitimately had to game plan for. Now, Sean Taylor was a freak, but he played safety. No one that Washington has uh, played has had to game plan for a specific player defensively in like 25 to 30 years. That's what's exciting. And Montez Sweat, Scott, is also an elite player on the other end. Uh, John Allen is a really good player. Deron Payne, his freakishness athletically, he looks like he could be a top five player at his position within a year or two. And finally, they're well coached with Rivera and Del Rio. They've really been poorly coached defensively for a long time now. So yeah, it's exciting. And I, I agree with you on Young. I don't, know if it, I don't know if Taylor's the comp, but he's a game wrecker. Well, the reason I say Taylor is because he was the person who so obviously was destroying uh, the other team's hopes, right. and 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 was and just was just so physically obvious that you know, to your point, Washington's not had someone like that, um, and, and really ever. I mean, even like Dexter, sure, bless his heart, Charles Mann too, but like well, this De- is. I mean, there's. I've never seen anybody that, look, that just just never want anyone physically that looked like this person looks, and so you know it's. But it's one thing to be all hat no cattle or all airport team or however you want to describe someone that looks the part but doesn't play it. But he not just looks freakish; he is freakish with his impact on games. So, um, listen. Here's the main. Here's the the biggest issue with Washington is that they're playing games in December that matter. A lot of that's a byproduct of the fact that the NFC East is garbage, but so be it. Like, they've played really good football. They went to Pittsburgh and won. They beat San Francisco. Now, I mean, you know, can you beat Seattle? I, I, I'm very interested to see what do they do against this Russell Wilson and Seattle offense that when they play lesser teams looks great. But they have been, they've been held in check by elite defenses because that O-line's not great. And so I'm going to be interested to see what do they try to do to keep Wilson in front of him and try to keep him from making those off-schedule plays that he's the best at in the NFL. 
they have an elite defensive front right now, and it's blossomed even faster than most people thought. They don't have an elite defense right now. Um, they may have an elite defense a year from now. They, uh, I, I think he still Rivera still needs to get his middle linebacker, and they still have to get a, a, another corner and safety. They're going to be without DeShazer Everett this week, and he's actually played really well uh, for Landon Collins when Collins went down. By the way, just a, a quick mention about Dexter. Because you said bless his heart, and I know you didn't mean that condescendingly about man or manly, but Dexter Manley for about a four-year period was a dominant game-wrecking pass rusher in in the NFL. No question. No, no. I, 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 if that came off as me being flippant about what he was, I, I, my apologies because that's not what I meant. I know. I'm saying. I'm just saying. This is more generational how, how the, the athlete has changed. Put Dexter side-by-side side with, with Chase on the field, and like, they're just, there's really no comparison. But there's really no comparison to Chase and really many other athletes right now. And so, you know, we're talking about 30 years after Dexter, you know? Yeah. And and I also think, too, you know, thinking about we've obviously, um, you know, we've been basically dissecting this and talking about it every single day in this town all year long and going back to the draft with Chase Young and should they have drafted Tua, you know, instead um, you know, knowing especially what we sort of feel in, in, in retrospect, what maybe Ron Rivera really thought about Dwayne Haskins and his future. I, I'm getting to this. You can have a dominant defense in today's NFL, but you have to have the quarterback. You know, there was a time where if you had the best defense in the NFL, you could win 13 games and you could win the Super Bowl. But we've seen in recent years, you know, Denver's a team with, you know, Von Miller and Bradley Chubb and a couple of the teams they had without a quarterback, they were a five or six win team, you know, with a great defense. Um, and, and that's what they have to avoid. They can't waste this over the next couple of years. They're going to have to solve the quarterback issue still. True, true. But, I mean, I, I, I just – I think – and you've lived it far more, um, I don't even know what's the right word, far more specifically, far more closely than I have. But uh, I'd rather have to figure out the quarterback than have to figure out all of it. Yeah, but the quarterback's always the hardest thing to figure out. <laughs> it's always the hardest I thing. I agree, but when yeah. you got, listen, when you can win a game where you don't score on an offensive touchdown because your defense scores two, that makes up for lots of sins. You're obviously not banking on doing that repeatedly, but – I think I think we look. We both agree the defense is is um, maybe even better than advertised up front. And if nothing, like Washington is playing meaningful football games in yeah, December. Exactly. Uh, and Russell Wilson in Seattle will be a, a real test for this group because Nick Mullins. Um, and really some of the teams they faced recently, including Pittsburgh, who's obviously not nearly as good offensively maybe as some thought earlier. Um, Sunday's a big test. All right, feel better. We'll talk later. Uh, try to eat something. Um, even if you can't taste it, you got to eat. That's uh, what did the, what, what's a doc, Have you talked to a doctor? What's a doctor told you about what to do other than quarantining? Um. I have I haven't talked to anyone because I um I just went on the internet. <laughs> That's great. You just went to you know uh, doctor dot com or what's that uh, what's that one website that basically scares the shit out of out of everybody? Um, WebMD. 
Yeah, yeah, WebMD, uh, that one. Uh, you know, you, you have a little, you know, uh, ping in your in your in your chest, and you're on WebMD, and you're you're checking yourself into the emergency room twenty minutes later. That that thing's scary. I, I don't, you know, I'm certainly not a doctor, but you know, you have one, so you may want to just call them and say, "Hey, I got it, and I've got no sense of smell or taste. Any suggestions? Uh, just you know, I'm open to any suggestions you might have, rather than going All on right, the internet." Okay, that sounds like a good plan. Yeah, I'm sure you'll listen to it. Um, All right, I'll talk to you later. Thanks for doing this. Of course. Be good. All right, that's it for the show today. No Doc today. Uh, We'll do Doc on Tuesday because Tommy is not going to be able to be on the show on Tuesday. So Doc will come on with us Tuesday on Monday. Cooley and I uh, with the game recap and a lot more. Have a great weekend, everybody.